0: This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is Patrick Beischer. Patrick overcame a debilitating hip disease in his youth to eventually pass BUDS SEAL training and become a Navy SEAL. We deployed to Iraq together, and today Patrick runs the Grit Training Academy. He's also the author of two books: No Surrender, Faith, Family, and Finding Your Way, and Warrior of God. Now, without further ado, Patrick Beischer. What's what was the path into the Navy? Let's dive in. I want to, you know, uh, I knew some things here and there. Like I remember us talking about the uh, medical stuff. Like you had some crazy hip thing. I remember, I mean, this is, I'm going back in the memory banks though, like 10, 10 years ish, you know, over 10 years now, uh, right around 10. And, uh, so yeah, what was that journey like for you into the SEAL teams? Going all the
1: way back. So to, you know, kind of give you that storyline and the story arc of me and the character of who I am and how I developed into wanting to even be a SEAL is that, Really young, I was gifted with all these talents and, and abilities. Like I could use my left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot. Like I could play all the sports, do all the fun stuff. And I was gifted in that way. And then it was taken away from me because I had developed a rare hip disease. It's called avascular necrosis. And that is a leg calf Perthes disease where the hip bone in the socket, the bone deteriorated. And, and similar to Bo Jackson, what ended his career is how I started life. And, and so through that, the doctors actually, who saw me first gave me the diagnosis and see, you know, the one doctor ran in and he's like, you're never going to be able to walk again. Oh
0: man. And how I old are you like, at this point?
1: Uh, I was about nine. Wow.
0: When, so at when nine I, years old, you're hearing a doctor tell you that.
1: Wow. Yeah. And then from there, I was put in leg braces and crutches for over a year. And if you can imagine what Forrest Gump looked like, that's what I looked like, but with crutches. No kidding. And so I had to deal with that going through and growing up. And after a year of those leg braces and crutches, the doctor said, hey, it didn't really work out the way that we anticipated or hoped. And because of that, you, you know, you, you won't be able to walk or you can be in a wheelchair or you can have experimental surgery. So I'm like, yeah, wow. let's do that.
0: You know, whatever I can do. And Dude, so you do that, act like decided that they talked those options with you at that age, at age 10 now, you're, you're 10 now after that. And they're, they're, that's like on your shoulders. Like, hey, what do you want to do? Well, I, you know, you, you look
1: at your parents and yeah. you're like, please, please don't, you know, put me in a wheelchair. Yeah. And you know, growing up every day here and run, Forrest,
0: run. Yeah. <laughs> it's like
1: I'm yeah. I'm gonna try everything that I can. So we had the surgery. I was in a body cast uh, from the chest down. They took marrow from here into there. Experimental stuff at the time. It's cutting edge back in the you know early '90s. And and my hip bone did grow back, but it grew back deformed. So I had very limited range of motion in my leg. Yeah, I could. You know, I couldn't have any external or internal rotation. I could barely lift my knee up to ninety degrees. And that's kind of uh, my normal. I said, hey, you'll never be able to play sports. You know, you probably won't be able to run. And, you know, I kinda navigated through that growing up. Hey, what can I do instead of what, you know, you tell yeah. me that I can so that kinda drove me to push myself to the extreme. And eventually I said, What's the biggest thing I can conquer? And of course, at that time, no one knew what seals were, and you know, I said, "Hey, I want to operate at the highest level. I want to do things, you know, and be crazy." Like when I was super young, I wanted to be a stunt man. Nice, or GI Joe. Yeah, there you go. That's it. <laughs> Solid. Uh, yeah. and, and so that kind of took me down that path, and because of that, uh, a doctor had denied me several times to get in the Navy. Yeah. And when he was about to retire, he stamped me. He was like, all right. I'm like, I run five miles a day. I'm a two-sport captain athlete. Like, I got no pain. I'm lying through my teeth. And eventually, I get in. And eventually, I, I make it up until the point where I have to be reviewed by the DMO or the Dive Medical Review Officer who lets you go to any specialized training. And he stamped me to go to Buzz because he was the understudy of the doctor that did my surgery
0: no way. way back
1: then at the University
0: of Michigan. And so, so without it, that, you wouldn't have, no, no other doctor would have let you in. It was all like the personal relationship. Hey, I'm going to hook you up here. I know you. Here you go. Yeah. He was dang. like,
1: oh, you know, I, I studied under him for 10 years. Like, oh, he's awesome. You know, he's this and he's that. And I was like, yeah, he's great. I got no pain. Like stamp that thing. Right. <laughs> and And he did. And he didn't even look at my medical record, which is you know probably the the wrong thing to do and yeah. but it was just by God's grace really that I just slid under the radar and was able to uh to make it
0: through high school at this point are you like like seventeen are you a like a junior senior in high school going through all this, or are you right after uh high school trying to get this medical stuff taken care of so you can get your shot at the teams
1: so at during nine eleven 11 I watched it on the news in at that class while i was in high school wow. i said i gotta go do something and at that point i wanted to go into the marine corps i was like hey I'm, I'm gonna just go in charging yeah and it took a while so after i had been denied a couple of times I was like how am i going to go through this what am i going to do and i ended up having my own business like i mowed lawns and had that going, and then I had a business that I ran with my father. And through that, I'm like, "All right, I don't find any purpose in this. Like, yeah, I can make a ton of money, but what's the point?" And yeah. I'm not sure. What were you doing? Anybody.
0: I think you told me a long time I, ago. What were you doing?
1: So I had a. It was a like an e-commerce business uh, with my dad. And it was just selling product. And, you know, it was like the dot com boom. And I had no enjoyment in that whatsoever because I wasn't serving anybody. And I knew I wasn't operating at the highest level that I could. So I was trying to push myself, you know, to that extreme. And that was not fulfilling. So then I went back and
0: I said, all right, I'm going to try to join up again.
1: And then eventually I did.
0: Yeah. So are you really, I mean, you're lying about being in pain? Are you really in pain? serious oh, yeah. pain as you're working like all the times when you're like when you were just sitting around were you in pain and when you're all working out like just constant
1: all the time so uh, just to put a pain preference on the pain scale right. for the doctors and, and nurses and people like that out there is like a pain of one to ten uh i had broke my arm actually when i was a junior and a nice clean break i was sliding down a hill you know just snapped it doing your stuntman
0: stuff again preparing to be a stunt yeah. man.
1: Yeah, that's right. Practicing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then a, and my arm did not hurt as bad as my hip did at that point. Yeah. Jeez. So a broken bone and like a bone deterioration, bone on bone pain since I was, who knows how long, Jeez. uh, it, it kind of puts that into, you know, a reference point to say, Hey, my hip hurt more than a broken bone did. And I went through that, you know, my, entire life up until I had my hip replaced.
0: Man, that is crazy. When when, when did you get the hip replaced?
1: I got it replaced when I was uh, 28. That was
0: before I went to SEAL Team 7 when I was at SEAL Team 3. No way. They did it while you are in the teams. Oh, man. So, you're working for your dad and and you're still in all this pain. You're still training and uh, the Marine thing, you're like negative. Let's go SEALs and (laughs) go into the recruiter. I kind of...
1: Right. I figured out like this what's the hardest thing to do? Because I'm trying to prove all the world wrong about yeah. you know, what's possible, what I can do. Because every single year, doctors told me, hey, you can't do this. You can't do this. Right. You can't do this. So every time it's like, all right, you told me I can't. I'm going to prove you wrong. You told me I can't. Yeah, I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. Develop that mentality going in, which is what I call that 1% mentality. It's like, what can I do to just get 1% better today if I can just take one step? Yeah, more than I did yesterday. Then I'm, you know, moving in the right direction. Right.
0: Oh so, man. So do you always go into the recruiter and uh, say, "Hey, I want do you the dive fairer program? Does that still exist, or you just go to boot camp and try out, or how'd that work?"
1: Uh, well, I got the seal contract,
0: but okay. I was contracted as an
1: AO, Aviation Ordinance Man. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have the rates or anything, but I did have the contract because I met the criteria. You know, there was no mentorship program. Yeah. Uh, there, there's nothing like that yet. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I got my shot after I passed the test and then went through that scruff duty. Okay. That they at, at the pool then. at uh,
0: at Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and off you go to Bud's in Coronado, California. And how's the hip feeling at this point? It. It hurts just as bad as it did the day before. (laughs) Because there's probably not many worse things that you can do for a deteriorating hip than throw logs on your shoulder, uh, raise them above your head, run with them down the soft sand beach in boots, uh, put a boat over your head and run through that soft sand for miles and miles and miles, flutter kicks, get it cold in the water. Maybe that's helpful. I'm not sure. And then back out and run again and warm it back up. Like uh, what on earth was that like, I think it it kind of evened the playing
1: field actually huh. because all the suffering that I've been going through my yeah. entire life, people were finally feeling for the first time.
0: Yeah, but their hips you aren't know? deteriorating like like that. No. They, they no. weren't a full on body cast, you know, until they weren't going to walk a little ways before that. Like, like what, what, did you did it feel worse in buds or did it feel the same? I that, think it it felt worse at certain points. You
1: know, going. Yeah. Through a two nautical mile ocean swim, you know, that hurt after a while. I yeah. couldn't even take my fin off. I had to ask my, you know, swim buddy to take my left fin off every yeah. single time. And, and just to be able to reach it, I couldn't even reach it. Dang. And then, uh, just little things like that. But running, you know, moving and getting hot, that helped. Okay. okay. So I could catch back up.
0: Really? So, what is it like to be in, doing surf torture or surf conditioning, as they call it now? Um, what was that like to be in the water for you know a half hour, just on the verge of hypothermia, and then pulled out to then go on a two mile run, maybe with a boat on your head? Like, what is, what was that transition like? Out from the cold to the hot? The the cold really did bother
1: me because I was yeah. really just skin and bones. No, I didn't have much meat on me. I remember, you know, a couple of the O's who are still in, they're like, "Where's Bice?" I'm like, come and snuggle you know yeah. like, All right, I'm there man I'm there <laughs> whatever nice. I can do to not hype out and that that part hurt probably the most just because you're so cold yeah and you're really really hurt you know you're you're crunched over and your hip flexors are locked up those yeah. locked up man that that took
0: it out of me that's, That's insane. No. And then what is it like to go from that? Cause in hell week, obviously you're doing, you're, you're, you're surf tortured and then you're, you're doing the boats and then you're doing the logs and then you're doing a swim and then you run into the O course. Was the, uh, was the O course like doing any, like the dirty name or like, did anything hurt your hip to try to like, we need to load up to jump to that next log or when you had to, you know, go through the weaver or whatever. What, uh, what on that obstacle course hurt that hurt, hurt your hip the most or was it fine? It, it was fun, man. It's like a
1: big kid's jungle gym, right? And that weaver, yeah. it, my leg could only go so far. Yeah, so I was knock thinking. out and I would just hook my foot right <laughs> over that weaver. You uh-huh. know, slide through, hook right. my foot over. Uh, the spider wall kind of gave me a little bit of trouble because I couldn't maneuver my feet very well. Uh, or my. Right, and other right. other than that, like, I had the best day of my life. You know, every day, even though I was
0: in pain, it was like, this is a dream come true for a crippled boy. Oh man. You know? Wow. Jeez. And then how'd the rest of the of training go? Cause in my, in my head, when I think about that hip, I'm thinking mostly about first phase and hell week, and just the, uh, you know, <clears throat> when you're proven you need, you have what it takes, uh, mentally you have the grit, uh, you know, to be there and, um, what was the rest of it like what was uh pool comp and and uh and then third phase patrolling putting the ruck on doing the land nav course now you're having you know weight instead of on your head it's now on your back as you're moving through the mountains what's out uh, how how did how did the hip fare during all that i
1: think the hip did well in second yeah. phase you know it was it was fine and uh, i wasn't the smartest you know guy out there the sharpest you know brightest crayon in the box but uh <laughs> It was a steep learning curve for me to be able to go through that. And, you know, I enjoyed it because it was challenging. Third phase was just as fun. I mean, who doesn't want things and blow stuff up? The ruck was okay. Uh, But eventually, you know, that bone on bone got to the point where it was, it started to lock up on me. And that's what happened, you know, after SQT and after jump school. It's like I had a really bad parachute landing uh, during static line. And that's really kind of what blew the acetabulum apart in my hip. And I was just like, all right, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> you know, there's nothing else I can do. I'm not going to medical. Yeah. And you know, being a young kid trying to prove himself, you know, being the new guy at the SEAL team, you don't want to show up hurt and you don't want to mm-hmm. say anything. Yeah. You know, you keep your mouth shut and, you know, you keep your head down and you say, yes, sir. You show up first and leave last. And so that's what I tried to
0: do. And yeah. kind of, bit me in the butt but yeah. uh i remember like it was yesterday i mean it was over 20 years ago when i showed up <laughs> with my first team but uh but i remember it like it was yesterday um and so was was uh static line part of your in free fall part of your pipeline or did you have to go to to benning at, i forget what year that it, all changed? It was we
1: had we were one of the first classes actually yeah. to go over to otai okay and that was actually probably even more beneficial for me because I didn't have to go through weeks of it. Right, just- yeah.
0: <laughs> Cram three days of training into three weeks at, uh, at Fort Benning. Uh, anyone who's been to Airborne to jump school will, will know what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, that, that landing, how was that? What, what landing? What was uh, different about that one than all the other ones where you just come down and, you know, <laughs> parachute landing fall? know, <laughs> right. Well, that landing in particular...
1: It was uh, it was pretty windy, and they were like, "Well, should, should we call it or should we not?" <laughs> they aired like, on the well. side of not, <laughs> and and it was it was okay, mm. you know, it was still windy, but we went anyways because yeah. we wanted to get that jump out of the way, and I had, you know, we're I knew, so I don't really know exactly how to pull on the risers to mm. turn left or right when you're really just spinning in circles, mm. and. And I'm going down and the winds are taking me one way. So then when I go to turn into the wind to land, which is what you're supposed to do, uh, the winds changed. So I had like a crosswind and then I was going with the wind at the very tail end, couldn't turn. So I just, you know, bit it hard. And as soon as I land, my hip popped so loud, you know, sounded, you could hear it, you know, from 30 feet away and and I, I hit so hard. I cracked my ProTac. And uh, the, the woman in the, you know, four-wheeler is like, me. <laughs> you know, I was like, I feel fine. And uh, even though I saw the sky, saw the ground, saw the sky, I was like, all right, I got to get oh. my bearings here and, you know, make sure I'm good. Man. And with, with that, I, I was cleared. But,
0: you know, I should have stopped but I didn't want to You know. I wanted to keep going. Yeah. The cracked helmet should have been an indication that, uh, maybe you should take a, a breath for a sack or at least, <laughs> you know, maybe a minute. Uh, but then you go on, you do free fall also right there and just keep going. Oh man. How was that? No bad landings there. No, it was great. Uh,
1: my shoulder actually ripped out of socket at Eleven thousand feet. Oh, that's nice. Uh, that was bad. So I did end up having surgery on my shoulder, <laughs> and I got to rehab that. And at the same time, I was kind of nursing my leg, yeah. so it was it was kind of hidden in that. And it's like, okay, I don't have to tell anybody about this because oh, no one knew about my hip problem oh, except for the doctors. Yeah, well, and that's a whole different story. You walk into Buds and for a medical review, because um, I, ha- I did actually have my shoulder rip on a socket during first phase. Oh, wow. And I had surgery post hell week oh, after wow. that.
0: Oh, jeez. Uh,
1: so uh, it's a big, long, you know, buds story in, in itself. But I went into those doctors and they're like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I'm here to rehab my shoulder. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then they put up the you know, the, the screen with all the x-rays in them. And they're like, what is this? They're all in there. Every doctor.
0: Looking at your hip, not your shoulder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm here for my shoulder. Oh, man. <laughs> and that they is. were like, okay, you know, I don't, I don't know how you're here. I don't know like wow. how you got here. I don't know how you're walking. Wow. Let alone, you know, doing buds. Yeah. I was like, I, can you please just rehab my shoulder? And they were like, yeah, but we're going to watch you. So, wow, you Jedi uh, mind I, tricked them. We yeah, have it's like mm-hmm. I'm, there's nothing to I'm see here, here, here for my shoulder.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No way, that is crazy. So, when you get to your team, you, do, you jump school, and, and then do uh, you, you have to do language? You go right to your team. I forget when they added the language. Uh, I went, went to the team. Oh. I was at actually born or or in team three. Yeah, I went, to, I went to SEAL team three, and um, a
1: couple guys are still in there, but um, yeah, I went to three and started training, and immediately. You know, during the workup, I just, I, my hip locked up on me and I couldn't, I could not move yeah. anymore. And I had to tell my LPO, it was like, Hey man, I, I can't go anymore. Yeah, And he's like, well, I, I know how you feel because, you know, his back was hurting from his last appointment. And I was like, he, he was, he was really cool. He was like, Hey man, go get it checked out. And I did. And long story short is that, you know, the doctor was like, "You can't be a seal." It's Like, Doc, I've been hearing this my whole life. Yeah, you no, know, like, just do whatever you got to do. And um, but this is post SQT, so you've been, you have your your trident at this point. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, like, I finally earned that trident, but I, I didn't earn it the next day. I'm I'm in yeah, right back where I felt like I started at ten years old. Yeah. you know, nine years old. Hey, now now what? Right. And now this guy's telling me I can't do this. So eventually, I had a full hip replacement, metal on metal, Dang. and and because of that, I was able to rehab and do language. Uh, I did language in SQT when I was, you know, okay. hurt with my shoulder. Um, a, a guy at SEAL Team Five came back from his deployment. He's like, "We got to learn language. Like we're getting, you know, screwed over out there." It's like we, I need to learn this stuff and. And, and that's what started it. So I went to SDSU while I rehabbed my shoulder and then got back in the pipeline, hurt myself, went back into training, <laughs> learned more language. And then uh, after I rehabbed my hip for, it was about nine months before nice. I was cleared to you know, jog, uh, I, I just took
0: language the entire time. You're Arabic, then, right? Yeah, because yeah, I remember in Iraq, when we were there in 2011, I remember uh, that's I mean, that might have started how we started talking about your hip. I'm like, wait, how did you learn this? What, what's going yeah, on? Right. You know, how are you translating oh, no. these things? Um, <laughs> oh, man, that is so, so wild. So you got a full-on language immersion at, uh, at SDSU, and then you eventually make it back to the team. Did you go back to Team 3? Do you do a deployment there?
1: No, I didn't. I just went straight to Seal Team 7.
0: Okay, yeah. got it. Got it. Oh, man. So that's a point. So was our deployment your first one or was that? Uh, oh, no yeah. way. I don't know. Yeah. If I, I mean, it's been a couple it's been a little a couple of years since then. So <laughs> and, well, and it was it was like one it was one of your last. That was, right? Yeah, it was, was my last. Yeah. And so
1: it, it uh, was like it was your last. It was my first. But it, it was good to just be a part of the teams. Yeah. You know, and to be a part of that and to gain all that knowledge from you and you know everyone else but it's like what can i do to be an asset instead of a liability
0: yeah so, well it's you like, were I, I remember i remember and we got everything switched up last second with afghanistan and us and we got put together at the at the last second to go down south Basra. we didn't know if we were staying going when we were leaving remember that how uncertain everything yeah. was uh you? you know are are we are we leaving are we going are we are we staying in a smaller footprint and we working where are we going to be working if we stay and all those plans we had to put together for that? Uh, meanwhile, trying to keep uh, that drawdown from turning into like highway of death as the, uh, the U.S. is leaving. Um, that was, yeah, the uncertainty of that deployment was, I mean, there's always uncertainty attached to deployments in the lead up. Even if you're like, hey, I'm sure I'm going to Iraq. Hey, I'm sure I'm going to Afghanistan. I'm sure I'm going to Colombia. Well, guess what? You're dealing with a gigantic bureaucracy and uh, that doesn't always uh, operate the most effective in the most effective fashion. And uh, you might train up and learn Spanish and be ready to go study target decks for, you know, down south. And then, you know, guess where you end up? Iraq (laughs) or Afghanistan, (laughs) you know, who who knows, or the Philippines, Southern Philippines. Um, That's just sometimes how it goes. But uh, man, I remember you being an asset big time over there and i remember being so impressed with the, the language capability and then you always volunteering for everything that stood out and then uh, us talking about your hip i distinctly remember us talking about that and me going what like <laughs> even all these years later i'm like i still remember to this day uh us talking about that hip and i was just blown away by everything you had to go through uh and deal with to get where where you were cuz most people would have been like oh Obviously I have a hip that is, um, that's, that's uh, deteriorating and, uh, it's hurting and I'm going to do things that probably make a little more sense and that those things do not include joining the SEAL teams and going to war. Um, so, uh, but you did, I mean, you did, you pushed through all that and, uh, and did the job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Man. And then what did you do when you got back from that deployment? Cause when you get back from deployment for people listening, you, uh, you scatter, A lot of times um, because your needs of the Navy, needs of the teams, changing requirements, downrange, uh, career paths, meaning uh, it might be time for you to do something over here or over there uh, to continue your progression. Um, And then you maybe come back together to uh, do another uh, deployment, a platoon and a workup and those things. But uh, what'd you do when you got back from that one? Because we all scattered.
1: So I initially was going to stay uh, with the platoon. I actually went right into another school uh, immediately after that, a life saving force. Uh, well, Roco Rescue is what it was labeled uh, down in Louisiana. I, I went there uh, as part of like. I don't the remember lead that one. Climbers.
0: What was it part of? And Sorry.
1: It was kind of part of the lead climber course. Mm-hmm where you go you know you learn how to repel and save people jaws of life stuff you know with cars yeah. it, it was really fun i went with a couple other guys nice. and, and the, initially that's what i was going to do and then i talked to both the master chiefs because there was a change of command at the time and you know i said well what can i do to be the best asset like i don't know if i'm going to be able to you know continue on the path that i'm doing i'll do it you know and and that's when it came up that the foreign language program needed a person who had gone through language to help set up, you know, that pipeline because it was a big push at the time. So uh, the command at ATC, which is Advanced Training Command oh, yeah. on the West Coast, they asked me along with um, the the lead civilian in charge of that program. Yeah asked if I would come in and do a scenario based learning platform to go alongside with their curriculum. Right. So I was able to do that with the teachers and with Johnny Walker. Yeah. Yeah. Famous Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. He, uh, yep.
0: Yeah. He's got codenamed Johnny Walker, the book. Yeah. Yeah. We, did, we spent some time together downrange, uh, Iraq and a couple of different deployments in Iraq with him. Yeah
1: and he stayed there a long time yeah. and he was a good friend and we were able to do a scenario based training pipeline within the foreign language program so we put together six different scenarios that you would learn while learning the foreign language.
0: Oh my gosh. I would love to see those just knowing Johnny Walker and having spent (laughs) time with him in some, I don't know if I've ever talked about one of them, but one crazy scenario in, in Missoula in 2005, maybe. Um, but I can only imagine. I would love to actually know the different ideas that you guys kicked around before you got to the ones that were eventually approved, uh, right. because I could, I can only imagine how insane some of those were, especially with Johnny Walker in the room, not thinking that there's anything insane about them because of his, right. of his background. Like right. yeah. I would love to have been fly on that wall, but that's, man, that's incredible. So you came up with six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's just kind of like a key leader engagement. Yep. Or direct action, you know, something that makes sense that you're going to utilize when you get to the team. So even as a new guy, you kind of have an understanding of what you're going to be asked if you use your foreign language and how that can be an asset to what, you know, the mission is. So it's like, how can I create that? And I was able to do that. And that's really where I kind of developed an understanding of what a curriculum looks like, being, being in and a buds instructor and then you know working at ATC and doing that curriculum yeah. i was oh, okay i i can still be an asset to the teams got it oh man
0: so, how long were you there i was there for about 3 years oh wow okay and you keep work on your language at the same time i did i mean i stepped into all of
1: the classes i learned right. farsi urdu pashto chinese you know Jeez. like korean i i learned all these languages just a little bit yeah. But every time I'd walk into the Arabic classroom, you know, you there's different dialects yeah. that people would learn from from the teachers and I was able to go in there and and help out a lot more.
0: Right. Oh man, the language thing's so interesting cuz the aptitude for it, you know, we do have that aptitude test and I guess, you know, if you score highly on it, you're, you know, you have some options and maybe it works at that level, but if you're at like that just barely aptitude for something, that's a rough road, you know uh, especially when you're ready to dive into your first platoon and go kick indoors and you know do the do the job. Um, that's rough especially if you just barely make that threshold on the aptitude test like you know you're right there. They sent me to to DLI for French years ago because they thought I was going to go to North Africa West Africa for something and uh, and so I went there and I, I graduated with uh, I forget what it was but higher than what they they expected so um, oh, no. a little struggle at first because I had Spanish growing up. And uh, the Spanish and French kind of mixed for a while. And then the French totally took over. Uh, Spanish went completely by the wayside. um, And that was right near the end of that course. And then I ended up going to, uh, I I did end up going to West Africa, but I had an interpreter the whole time. So I I, I relied on that (laughs) subject matter expert uh, who was local. um, And uh, so I didn't really ever have to use it. And then uh, it was just recently, I went back, went down to Argentina and the Spanish came back. It was crazy. Yeah. It was so wild. I mean, I hadn't touched it in so long and I'd forgotten it and replaced it with French in my mind anyway. That's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, but it came back like, it was crazy, like almost immediately. And there was no like French kind of, you know, maybe there was a tiny bit, but not much. Um, so it's just interesting how those you in a different place and, uh, totally immersed with people of that other, they're using that other language and they're just kind of. Pops back, which is odd. Like I couldn't tell you, I probably couldn't tell you a phrase of Spanish or French right now, but in Argentina <laughs> a couple months ago, it was like boom, it was there. So I'm curious if it would be that way with uh with French if I went back to North Africa, West Africa, or once France or, you know, those things. But um gosh, I wish growing up in this country that we uh learned we had another language or two languages or three languages and we tried to do it with our kids and yeah, we're not successful because <laughs> I just know that value. If you have that other language, um, no matter what you do in life, whether you go into you know business, you know we go into finance, whether you, whatever you're doing, um, it's just so useful in medicine, whatever. You have that one other language, it gives you so many other options. Um, ah, man. Now you made me think about that. You made me think of my failures as a parent. Right now, I'm feeling horrible. (laughs) Golly! Oh well. That's I think going to college. When people ask me advice on college, I always add the language component. Like you have, Mm -hmm. or if you're lucky enough to have four years, um, and whether you have the post 9/11 GI Bill, or if you uh, you know you saved, or you worked, or you got a scholarship, or you're working, to put yourself through, or you have. Even if you have like a a parent that's paying, um, you know, whatever it might be, um, those are four years where you can devote yourself to a language in addition to whatever else you're studying. Like tack on that extra year, that extra six months and do that, study that language, do the semester abroad if you can in that country. Uh, It's just so, so valuable, you know, but uh, man, that's wild. So you did that for three years. I did. And then then what'd you
1: do? And then I transitioned out and went. uh, Was asked to be the seal mentor for the mentorship program. So not only was I at the tail end of the pipeline, I was asked to go to the very beginning. Wow, mentorship program for uh, you know the audience. Like the mentorship program kind of gets that first touch yeah. for the guys that want to go into the NSW program. Yeah. So SEAL quick, EOD, Diver, Air Rescue, they all come in. And I was in charge of Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. Dang. So I kind of led that and was able to teach stuff about mindset, like nice. your mentality, you know, the, the mindset of how you have to approach things. And doing that at the same time, I started to do leadership development and mentoring and coaching with other um, I would say, businesses yeah. and sports teams. And I was able to do that and then created a curriculum and did that. I did the SEAL mentor role for almost six years. Oh, wow. And and through that, I was rated the number one mentor in the U.S. Of course. Expect
0: nothing less. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> As trying my best to create quality over quantity mm-hmm. and... You know, it, it's like, hey, you don't really, you don't really get success by numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do as far as, far as the Navy, mm-hmm. you know, the needs of the Navy. But I really wanted to pour into the individual and really see what I could produce. And you know, it's a, it's a blessing. It's an honor. I was like, go to work humbly every day, yeah. just to see these kids hungry, yeah. you know, dedicated, wanting to serve their country at the highest level. So it's like, I got to give, give everything that I can to them. In turn, they gave everything, you know, for this country.
0: Yeah. Oh man. And how's your hip feeling at this point? How's it, uh, how's it feeling over these six years that you're doing the mentorship?
1: So it's, uh, I was able to run, I can run, I can swim, you know, I teaching the combat side stroke three days a week or, or more and going on soft sand runs, things yeah. like that. It, it takes it whole, but as far as like the actual hip, it's fine because I don't even have a real one. (laughs) Got it. Full metal on metal. I I have my limitations. You know, I can't lift heavy, but I can still work out. And it's like the old man workouts. I'm not quite in the
0: geriatric swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: But, you know, I'll get there.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, that's so wild. And then uh, at some point you start, the, you start this leadership company, you start Grit, you write a book. Like, how does all that come about?
1: So I, I started telling people my testimony, yeah. you know, walking them through the testimony as I'm talking about resilience mm. within, you know, companies. And they want to know how to respond instead of react to your scenarios you know, how do you overcome a victim's mentality and become a victor in your life? So I wrote a book, No Surrender, because every time I gave a speech, they were like, Where's your book? Right. I, said, I don't want to write a book. You know, I don't want to be one of those guys that yeah. writes a book. And eventually I, it, it came out. So then I wrote No Surrender, Faith, Family, and Finding Your Way. Yeah. And, and I put that out there and it did pretty well, but I didn't push it. I didn't try to do anything, you know, crazy because that, that wasn't my intent. My intent was to, you know, make leaders and and try to mentor them through the process, take them from where they are to where they need to be. And and that's why I started the Grit Academy. Yeah. And so that's how like I wrote the book, but that's more for a testimonial. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I created a mentorship program because people always need leaders and I want to be able to have a company lead from the inside and have their people be the most important thing. Yeah. So I created that mentorship program uh, for companies, sports teams. And I worked with Miami Heat for a really long time. Be working with the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars this year. I'm in a couple different companies. I, you know, have clients that are presidents of their organization, upwards to like in charge of three thousand people. So being the business is good and. You know i enjoy what i do because of all the lessons i had to learn the hard yeah. way
0: <laughs> right. try
1: to teach that so people don't have to go through that
0: right yeah. oh man what, when you're uh, when you're putting this together or, uh d- when you've developed it uh, to where it is today what are those things that you're you're passing along what are those most important tenets that you're hoping that these uh companies or individuals take away from um sitting down with you or listening to you or reading your book or uh, going through grid academy like what are those what are those things that you're uh you're passing on?
1: So the the kind of the
0: key takeaway overall for that GRID Academy is that
1: we help professionals become elite leaders and turn them into a championship culture, Mm. you know, within that mentorship program. And it affects everything from the bottom line, you know, to the organization's focus. And what I try to do is turn negatives into positives and victims into victors and the weak-minded into warriors. Mm. And how I do that, like the method or the approach, you know, principles, are few and far between. It's like methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, principles never do. And so I base it on the principles that we learned in the SEAL teams, you know, that I learned from the Bible and how I can put that into something that is tangible. And I use grit and grit is growth. Right? And sometimes you need to fail in order to grow. So it's necessary. You know, to fail in order to grow, and that's a foundational pillar within the Grid Academy. And then R is for resilience, and that's response over reaction. It's like I know that I have an emotional reaction sometimes because of the way that I feel, but how can I choose to respond and we'll take them yeah. through that process? And then I is for integrity, and keeping yourself honest and having the integrity of self will keep you and uh, help you understand the greatest realization of who you are because if you're not honest with yourself you can't be trusted and i've taken a lot of that personally because i was so prideful in life that i was destroyed and you know i was puffed up with pride and pride comes before the fall and i felt really hard you know as as a seal i had to learn that hard way and the last pillar of that would be time for that grit acronym and you know good things take time great things take even longer Mm. and so understanding that it's like hey here's the foundation and now we'll go through your mindset and create the warrior that we need to be so it's about you know introspective understanding who you are understanding how people see you and then being the leader that you need to be then would be applied and what I teach a leadership course to elite teams and servant leadership and what I call manifold leadership, and I did all that um, as kind of the course curriculum yeah. that I take people
0: and walk people through. Right. Yeah, I love you call it and, grit because grits that is that intangible kind of that you're looking through at not not just in buds but in any crucible, you know. And it's like you can't te- use test with it, a bubble sheet or sit down with a psychologist. So you just you just never know until you are tested. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a part of it, which is why I think these different crucibles were such an important part of most societies from the beginning of time up until today. And we've we've lost it a bit, but there's still that that calling, you know, inside. You can you can feel it. Um, it's just a natural thing to want to do to test yourself somewhere between age like 16 and 20. Um, you know, that's why, you know, so many people are drawn towards Marine boot camp or towards buds or army special forces Q course or, or whatever it is, is right. that something, there's something inside us that wants to be tested around that time. Um, because then, well, okay, Now you've been put through some sort of a crucible and you have a shared experience with others in your society as you move forward and are accepted into that society and tribe. Um, But we kind of kind of lost that unless you actively seek it today, because a lot of people, I think, feel it and then don't take the next step because it's such a natural thing to feel. But they're like they just don't take that next step. And the military is kind of the the thing that is the most identifiable and the most accessible to a lot of people. Um, But it can be anything. It can be anything. It's like, hey, you want to climb? You know, sir, climb a, a mountain, or you want to do this. You want to test yourself somewhere. Do a descent on a river, whatever, whatever it might be. But there, there's something that that inside us. I think that uh, it's just calls to be tested around that that time frame. But um, and uh, and so you have grit. And what was the other the other thing you said that you've uh, that, that you that you teach as well? The manifold leadership.
1: Oh, so it's just my leadership course. I, I teach it in segments, and one is elite team. So it's like the top ten rules of yeah. elite team and how that applies to you as a team member and then the other one is servant leadership and manifold leadership and to really understand how to lead and the best way to lead is as a servant and yeah. so i i did a lot of studying over the course of you know time here as you know that not just in arabic but in schooling you know and i got my doctorate in ministry and christian leadership And so how do I apply that to life? Well, I blended both, you know, the lessons learned from the SEAL teams and what I learned from, you know, getting that specific degree and meshing them together to really create something unique and what I believe is needed because a lot of people want to lead and lead from the front, which is great. But in order to do that, you have to lead with a servant's heart. And I think we forget about that sometimes.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Man, over all these years then that you've been been doing this, um, what have you taken from some of the people that you've uh, sat down with and talked to, mentored along, some of the organizations that you've been involved with? What have you taken from them personally and professionally? I've taken everything from them. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say nothing I have is original. I mean, that's
1: might not be true, but it's based on something someone told me or what I've learned or read you know, in books. It's like, how can I apply this? And I would say this, every single person that i've looked up to i've looked at what took them a lifetime to learn that they put in a book or that they put in something hey here's you know here's the nugget or here's what i've learned over the course of life and it took them their whole life yeah i try to condense that into one class you know one teachable moment mm-hmm. so every time that we teach or that we learn or that we grow into who we're supposed to become we're learning the life lessons from you know, whoever. And it took them 85, 100 years oh. to really get to this point. And I crammed it all into one thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, that is wild. And what's going Then what's ahead for you? What do you uh, down the line continue to do this? And, and uh, what's, uh, what's the next five, 10 years look like for you? I
1: have a few things that I want to do. But right now, uh, I have a new book out. It's called Warrior of God. And that's really a message to the leaders in the church to step up against this kind of liberal world view and to really take charge and take back the country, you know, for what we grew up, it, you know, what, how we grew up and, and what we thought the country was, we really need to get back to that. And it's not just Democrat, Republican, you know, and it's not, it's not this or that. It's two wings of the same bird. You know, and how do we best approach that and how do we equip ourselves with the full armor of God and how do we walk forward in life being victorious, you know, not just laying over, not just being a wimp, not just, you know, getting taken over by these uh, worldviews and these mindsets of, you know, these specific people groups. And so that's my mission on one side and on the other I continue to press forward and to do leadership at the highest level, as far as uh, you know who will take me on as client, who I'll take on as a client, and I'll just continue to do that with the Grid Academy, and we'll continue to push forward. and My goal is to, you know, interject the. A- a certified mentor into every company that we're a part of and, you know, take over the world.
0: There you go. There you go. Oh man. So my last book uh, before this was one that just came out in May, uh, the devil's hand, I really put myself in the enemy's shoes. And I uh, first, I started with, uh, Hey, what did they learn by watching us in Iraq and Afghanistan for the last you know 20 years? Um, yeah. And what, what lessons have they applied then to future battle plans? And as I'm researching that uh, well, COVID hits and I'm like, okay, well, I'm in the enemy's shoes. What are they learning from our response to COVID? And then a summer of civil unrest hits. Uh, it's 2020. And um, okay, what are they learning from that? They're not just you know casually watching and moving on to something else. They're drawing lessons and applying those lessons. And then we have a very contentious election cycle, political season. Once again, the enemy is drawing conclusions. They're drawing lessons and they're applying those lessons to battle plans. And uh, I was like, man, this is a little depressing. I mean, I got to move this novel forward here, but... If I was the enemy, I might not do anything right now. I might just watch because we're doing a pretty good job of tearing ourselves apart from the inside all on our own. Um, you know, you can nudge it a little bit here and there. And if I was the enemy, that's what I would be looking at. You know, how do you exacerbate some of these differences, and how do you take advantage of uh, identity politics? How do you look at our political situation and see, uh, oh, people want to solidify bases. They're speaking to bases for their device. Who, who what is d- the division? Who does it help? Oh, well, it helps politicians. Uh, who does it help? Well, it helps these tech companies. Okay. Well, how do we use those same platforms and freedoms to continue to exacerbate these uh, these differences um, and keep us focused on fighting ourselves? So. As an author, I had to think. Okay, well, I can't obviously just let the novel sit there and have nothing happen. I got to move it forward. So I, I, got to get creative with how I moved it forward. I love how, how I, but I, but I came to as far as that that goes. But in real life, I mean, it's, it's hard to 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 think about what I would do uh, as the enemy because I probably wouldn't do much. I would just continue to watch right now and give a little push here or there, because um, uh, it's a it's a tough time. But what saying all that, what uh, what gives you hope? for the future when you sit down at the end of the day and you take a breath um and you're looking at this next next uh generation or generations to come in this country what uh do you have any hope for that and if so uh what, what gives you that hope i would say that you know well first of all my hope is found
1: in jesus like i know where i'm going and that's an eternal understanding and i have an eternal kingdom mindset like moving forward it. I know where I'm going, and I think that gives me joy. That gives me peace and hope and understanding. And besides that, that's personally, I think, collectively, as we understand what just happened in last last political cycle and what the enemy is doing and what we're doing as a country and what other countries are doing, I can see that the younger generation... Yeah, they may be labeled millennials and, you know, they, they're needy and, you know, they want an eighty thousand K salary and four days off and whatever like the jokes and the puns are, they're smart and they're learning from us. And if they can take the the principles that we've learned along the way and apply them to, to what they do, you know, they work smarter, not harder. And as far as, like, the, the last best generation, you know, the hardest generation and, and those folks who are pretty much gone, we need to take those lessons and then pour them into the next group. So I, I find hope in continuing to serve those people and those leaders yeah. to get them and to propel them to a place that I could never go. And so that's my goal. That's my job. That's my priority. And that's my purpose in life to help them, you know, really catapult them. Say, hey, here's everything that we have, everything that we know, everything that we learned, and let me push you forward. So you don't talk about global warming. So you don't talk about these things, but you do something about it and you take action. So I have hope in that You know, we're pushing that next generation to the point where we could never be because we're leading them in that direction. So I've seen that personally, You know, people taking the initiative and not just complaining and not just watching things go by the side, but taking action. And, and that's where
0: I find a lot of hope inside of our country. All right, I'm, I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna take that with me. Because sometimes when I sit down at the end of the day, I'm like, oh man. I don't know. It's it's a struggle to remain, I try to remain hopeful publicly, of course, and just that's my natural uh, persona. But at the same time, I'm like looking at the landscape and uh, yeah, you know, if there was a new world to go to, you know, maybe I'd be sailing in that direction right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but there's not, we're there, we're already there. Um, so. Well, I'm, it depends on, for it, it. it
1: depends on your viewpoint too,
0: right? It depends on what screen you're watching and who you're listening to.
1: And, and that's, But if you go and you actually are on the outside and you talk to people, civilians, you know, and you get that other vantage point, you can see things a little differently than, you know, if you're
0: trapped watching MSNBC or something like that, it's like, it it paints a different picture. I know. So I try I'm, to recommend I'm, people to turn off the TV, uh stop tweeting, start reading and just go back into the pages of history. So you have a foundation from which to make decisions, a foundation from which to walk into that voting booth and and you know mark over you're going to mark. Um but uh but I think that's what we owe it to this these next generations is to put in that requisite time, energy and effort, not just to retweet something from somebody who also did not put in the requisite time, energy and effort into studying an issue, um, but is outraged about it anyway um and just because of a you know a following or 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 an ideology or whatever it might be but really taking a breath and thinking okay instead of just being outraged right now why don't i go back into the pages of history do a little reading um educate myself and then develop this foundation from which to make good decisions going forward and maybe apply some of the lessons of previous generations forward as wisdom that's what we owe the next generation and Social media obviously does not play into that, does not encourage uh, thoughtful discourse, nor does it encourage uh, you putting the phone down and picking up that book and spending hours because it's it's work. You have to put in the effort um, and it doesn't come easy. You're not just on the receiving end uh, of, a, of a tweet or a, a meme or uh, some sort of a, a post. You have to actually... Go to the library you have to do the research you have to check out the book you have to buy the book you have to sit down and read it you have to take notes you have to think about it you have to read multiple things about the same issue so that you can really develop that foundation and that takes work so um yeah, yeah and that's tough I, I think on that point is that we know history
1: repeats itself and you can see the same things happening that happened thousands of years ago and to really understand that, I like the the book Ecclesiastes, and that's like, there's nothing new under the sun. History repeats itself, and there's a time and season for everything. And so if we know what time we're in, if we can discern that and really understand, not just put ourselves in the shoes a thousand years ago, but understand the cycles that we're in, you can understand where you're at right now and then apply the lessons learned. The same lessons that you should know because you've studied up. You should know because you read that book. You know, you should know because you read 1984. (laughs) It's like I know what's happening because I discern the times. And I think the more people read, you know, the more people get in depth of that. They stop tweeting and retweeting and emotionally attach yourself to something that, you know, doesn't matter, then
0: they can make a difference yeah and, and that's encouraging because i've seen a lot of people take that change nice. take that i like to hear that i like to hear that that is awesome and i think uh mark twain i think he's credited with saying it anyway and I'm, i might be, be wrong but um uh, i don't know if history repeats itself but it certainly rhymes i think that's uh mm. i think you did say that but man thank you for spending this time i am it was so awesome to catch up with you and uh and to see you uh, And, uh, to see you doing so well and passing on these lessons and being a positive influence on everyone around you. Um, that's so important today because it's so easy to do the opposite. It's, uh, and that's why, you know, who you, who you follow, who you read, uh, are important today, especially for, uh, you know, younger generation coming up. So, um, you get to decide, you know, you get to decide if you're going to add value to somebody's life and, uh, you know, encourage them in a, in a positive direction, or if you're going to do the opposite and, uh. You know you're you're doing uh you're doing the former and uh i just love to see it out there and i love to see what you're doing and making this impact so man thank you and and man, it was an honor to go down range with you yes sir thank you for continuing
1: to lead it was an honor i'm humbled just to be a guest on the show oh, and keep pushing forward awesome. i'll keep following you. oh thanks brother
0: you to our presenting sponsor navy federal credit union i have been a member since 1996 there's my original card right there i got that at damneck virginia when i was at intelligence specialist a school at the navy and marine corps intelligence training center uh, on damneck virginia right before i went to buds so it was boot camp isa school buds and then off to the races in the seal team but the entire time to include through today i have been a member of Navy Federal Credit Union. And now they're sponsoring this podcast, which is amazing. Crazy how things come full circle like that. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union lets you experience more from everyday commutes to your next big vacation. The flagship credit card earns you three times the points on travel so you can get rewarded for wherever you're headed next. Plus this premium travel card has a low annual fee of $49 and two times the points on all purchases outside of travel which means the rewards don't have to end even when the vacation does. Speaking of rewards, you can get a Navy Federal Auto Loan and reward yourself with a new car. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone. And it's so fast, you can get a, de- a decision in seconds. Navy Federal Credit Union has great rates on auto loans. With their car buying service powered by TrueCar. you can shop, compare, and get upfront pricing on your next new or used At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Nice. I like that. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans, and their families. Flagship rates are variable and range between 10.74% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Credit and collateral subject to approval, message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. That's NavyFederal.org. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a black rifle coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one in the Amazon series adaptation of the terminal list. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash danger and use code danger 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black rifle coffee, America's coffee, keep crushing Today's gear segment is sponsored by Zero Foxtrot. Zero Foxtrot provides unique products that reflect the old school vintage military lifestyle. I've actually been following these guys for a while. Love what they're doing. Have a bunch of other shirts and coffee mugs downstairs from uh, uh, from the last few years. Just love it when guys get out and absolutely crush it. Zero Foxtrot is veteran-founded and is a proud supporter of our nation's defenders, veterans, and first responders. Actually, wearing this shirt. Look at that. Canoe Club USA. What does that mean? I think you're going to have to look it up in your web browser, the Google machine. Canoe Club USA, awesome shirts out there. They have limited edition ones that drop every now and again that are super cool. So definitely go to ZeroFoxTrot.com. And right now, we have an exclusive code for listeners of Danger Close. Use code JC at checkout for 20% off your order. Very cool. Remember, you can gear up with Zero Foxtrot and use code JC at checkout for 20% off your order. Just go to zerofoxtrot.com slash JC and remember to use code JC for 20% off at checkout or just click the link in the description. Once again, that offer code is JC. Gear up with Zero Foxtrot and use code JC for 20% off. Awesome. Definitely do that and check out all they have going on. Follow them on the social channels. They have some great things out there. They do some history posts every now and again that are really cool and very well thought out. Definitely check out zerofoxtrot.com for all the stuff. They have Zippo lighters in there. They have these mugs right here. What does that say? Drink coffee, stack bodies, stay zero. Love this. And then this one right here, this is cool. This might be a limited edition one, I'm not sure. Um, But for St. Patrick's Day, lack fear, not beer. Look at that. Boom, love it. Awesome, so that's what they look like right there. Zero Foxtrot, get a little of that action right there. That's a sticker, but uh, check out their t-shirts, mugs right here, whiskey glasses. These are some of my favorites right there. Look at that. Oh yeah, solid. So check them out for sure, zerofoxtrot.com slash JC for 20% off. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, I'm going to start with a blade. All right, Greg Westgate, man, thank you so much. Uh, You've been a long time supporter. I'm so fired up. You're finding this passion of knife making right here. So check these out. Boom, West of the Gate. And actually it is West of the underscore Gate on Instagram right there. And uh, yeah, check out what, what Greg has going on. These blades are solid right here. Thank you so much for sending. And then got this one as well. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Here they are together. Nice. Man, thank you so much. And thank you for the thoughtful note. Sincerely appreciate that as well. And then the story that you sent along The Knife Maker Book One The Boy and the Blade, Greg Westgate. And this is good. Keep going, both with the blades and with the writing. So thank you. Uh, look at this right here. All right, uh, Stand Strong Art. Of course, you can spell it standstrongart.com and uh, check these out. Artwork, you can see that right there, these patches. These are these are pretty, look at this one. Oh yeah, so standstrongart.com. Follow him on Instagram as well. Check out what he has going on. These things are pretty sick, so awesome. Awesome, awesome. I have quite the, quite the collection. Um, Next thing, reading. On this blast podcast, talked a lot about the importance of reading and about uh, stop tweeting and start reading. Uh, Something I came up with when I was just in the hot seat on Tucker Carlson a while back. Um, But... It's just so easy to retweet something these days that uh that you haven't done the research into, and probably neither is the person that uh that sent that initial tweet. Um, but just the importance of reading. So this is historical fiction right here. And this is Once an Eagle by Anton Meyer. If you've heard me, uh if you followed me on um my blogs, on the website, officialjackcar.com. You know I've talked about this a few times in a lot of interviews. I gifted this to Chris Pratt uh when he started researching the role of James Reese for the Terminalist series on Amazon. Prime. And it's a book that I used to gift uh, guys in the SEAL teams as they were starting out their time in uniform. And what I would do is include a letter in the front that uh, described why I was giving them this book. And then at the end, there's another one. And in the back, that was sealed. And so I had to read this entire book. And as you can tell, it is a commitment. But if you need to use it as a, uh, you know, um, you can hit somebody over the head with this thing or use it as a doorstop. It's pretty solid. But really, the uh, the lesson of the book is to see to your character and your reputation will take care of itself. It's historical fiction, follows two guys from before World War One up to Vietnam. And uh, one of these guys is a staff officer and one of the guys is enlisted, gets a battlefield commission in World War One, I. And, uh, and he's just one step behind this political officer that's moving his way up through the ranks. Um, But I highly recommend this. One of my top five books of all time. It is in the number one position. And uh, anybody that is in junior high might be uh, a little early, but uh, depending on the reading level, but for sure high school, for sure college, uh, for sure somebody starting off in the profession of arms in our military, um, this book right here. Read it, put down the phone and spend some time in these pages, um, you'll be served well. Thank you for tuning into the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Patrick Bischer, go to com, and that's P A T R I C K B I S H E R. Be sure to watch his interview on Fox News, which is right there on the homepage, and uh, check out what he has going on with Grit Academy. Check out his books. Follow him on Instagram at Patrick Beischer, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-B-I-S-H-E. Are. If you like this conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. You can go to officialjackcarr.com. That is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there. And Jackcarusa.com is the merch. Take care out there. Stay safe, be strong, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know. Oh well, because I've been getting asked this a lot. Like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or you conservative? Are box do you... you fit in? Which exactly, box you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or right. right. No. How, like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always.
1: Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you. You get your podcasts.